house now. I go in back and scrub down those garbage cans. Okay, and we're in. Um, I feel like I've said that at the beginning of every episode of this I've done so far. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's my catchphrase. Um, we're in. <laughs> um, maybe I need to like come up with something like more t-shirtable mm-hmm. that I can yeah. say at the start. Um, What's up, guys? What, what's up, nation? Um, <laughs> today I'm talking to Imogen Trussell, comedian, producer, um, writer, author of internet listicles. Um, <laughs> I do love listicles. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Had a good day. Um, pretty cool. Had a skateboarding session in the morning. No um, way. And then some guy came up to me and was like, hey, you guys skateboard? Can you do any tricks? And I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> Can't do a skateboard That trick. guy was Tony Hawk. Yeah, I know. And I decked him. And I was like, don't try me again. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Um, so you wanted to talk about Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, the amazing film, Greta yeah. Gerwig film from uh, 2017. Um, oh, yeah. 2017, what a good year, yeah. Fantastic year, that was the year I worked in a ramen restaurant and I peeled 3,000 eggs. Oh, so I was thinking of it more in like, oh, a great year for film or whatever. No, a great year like... for Imogen Trussell peeling eggs. But yeah, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> is that your record? Yeah, yeah, so I used to turn up and, I mean, I feel like I'm always talking about these fucking eggs, but <laughs> I used to turn up every morning there'd be a huge vat of eggs and then they'd make me peel them each morning. But I counted it up and I must have peeled over 3,000 eggs that summer. And that's why it's the best year ever. That and Ladybird. <laughs> that's so cool. Like, mm. so your whole job was kitchen porter stuff, just peeling eggs. My, my job was waitress, but I like always put myself forward to do the eggs because it was really relaxing. It's like they're like repetitive flow. Yeah, so you exactly. get into the, like the flow of it. Um, so I got like I'm an actual pro at peeling eggs now. <laughs> Did you get to like listen to podcasts or music or something? No, I literally just like that. No thoughts. No thoughts. Just egg peeling. That's, so <laughs> that's the dream. It really was. Um, and for anyone who's listening to this podcast while peeling eggs, keep going. Yeah, you can I'm get through that. You. <laughs> you can get through that pile. Um, so Lady Bird is a coming of age film uh, about a young woman who's in Sacramento, California in the early 2000s at a Catholic school who dreams of leaving and becoming sort of someone else and supposedly about like getting away. But the way that Greta Gerwig phrased it is like, it's a film about wanting to leave home that's secretly a love letter to that place and a film about a daughter that's secretly about the mother which, you know, I'm not going to try and top that as a sort of summary. Uh, does yeah. that sound That sounds right about right. And also yeah. there's a love story that's secretly about friendship. Yes. Which is beautiful. I love it. I think it's a perfect film. Yeah. Um, yeah, so why is it that when I spoke to you, I said, this is Love and Content, by the way. Forgot to mention uh, this podcast in which I speak to artists and creators about pieces of work that mean a lot to them. Um, why is it that you wanted to talk about this film specifically? I just, I mean, it's my favourite film, my favourite piece of media ever made. Mm. Um, actually, you asked me, I didn't even need to think about it. Like, I was like, nice. instantly, Lady Bird is what I want to talk about. Um, I think, you know, when I saw it the first time, I liked it a lot. I, like, really enjoyed it. But I didn't watch it again until last summer. Um, and I got made redundant over uh, COVID lockdown. Mm. And then it was just, it was not on Netflix very long. So I went and um, I was just scrolling through Netflix one day before bed. And I watched Lady Bird and I was like, this film is so, so good. And it just meant like, I just felt, found it really comforting that um, I went to bed after watching it and then woke up and immediately watched it again. Um, I just thought it was so fantastic. It's just like, yeah, really, I found a lot of comfort in it. 
that and then they took it off, off Netflix the following week so I'd really caught it in like a really short window um, so I instantly went on eBay and bought <laughs> a DVD copy and I think I watched it like 20 times over 2020 you bought a DVD yeah retro I yeah. don't I don't think I've ever loved a film enough to buy a DVD in the I last know. like eight years yeah I just loved it so much and I was so bored of trying to find it and buffer it every time <laughs> I wanted to watch it which was at least once a week um, because, yeah, the first time I'd watched it again was early August, late July. And I'd watched it, like, 20 times that year. So it, it was, yeah, it was very frequent. Um, yeah, I just think it, it had a lot of emotion in it that really hit home. And was just, I found it... Um, and the music, I think, is so lovely in it. It's just, found, I found it very, very comforting. Yes, definitely. It has such a cool sort of... I love that it's an early 2000s period piece. Mm. Um, the only kind of period piece that is not obnoxious is <laughs> mm. the one that is autobiographical mm. and isn't really meant to be a period piece it just so happens to take mm. place in that time like i don't know mid 90s or like american graffiti mm. so there's a really lovely sort of like early 2000s soundtrack that isn't <laughs> look at us look at all this music we're playing from mm. this era which and it's not the cool music either. Exactly. It's like what the teenagers are actually listening to. Like there's yeah. a bit when um, Ladybird's in the car with her dad and they're listening to um, Alanis Morissette. Yes, which, exactly. Who is like, my, I love that album so much, Dragon Little Pill. I think, I, yeah, that's another one where I really latched onto it one summer and just listened to it loads. I would have picked that if I hadn't picked Ladybird. Yeah. But um, Ladybird's like, can you believe that she wrote this song in a day? And the dad's like, yeah, I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it because it's yeah, a good song. And there's a bit um, when she and her best friend uh, mm. Beanie Feldstein they're in the car and they've just like um, they've had some emotional like a relationship drama mm. and they're crying in the car and the song they're listening to is Dave Matthews yeah. which is so great it's so unpretentious it's yeah like, and what's so nice is because um, what's his face uh, pointy face looks like a ferret Timothy Chalamet <laughs> Timothy Chalamet him um, that car that song comes on again later when they're on the way to prom mm. and they obviously think they're so cool and he's like Ugh, I hate this song and Lady Bird's like no, I love this song. Yeah. Fuck you guys. I'm going to go hang out with my actual best friends. Um, which is, yeah, which is great because, like, there is there is a really cool, like, emotional coding to that because, like, it is really admitting how embarrassing it is to, like, sincerely <laughs> like something. Yeah. Because, it, like, the fact that it was the 2000s then, but the film was made in the 2010s, we mm. look back on Dave Matthews' band, and there's this whole thing of, like, oh, it's super lame, mm. and anyone who likes it is a dick. So mm. the fact that like they chose that as like something that everyone kind of automatically codes their brain to be like, I'm too cool for this, mm. for them to go like, no, you know what, this is nice and it means yeah. a lot to me. And know? I think that like kind of fits into the whole. I mean, that's the whole narrative, isn't it? That she is trying to be really cool and trying to be more mm. than she actually is, and that at, at the end she's just like, actually, I'm just gonna be, I'm just gonna like what I like, I'm gonna do what I want to do, and that's such a, like a good moment because that's when she goes back to her Julie's, her best friends, and it's like, yeah. I don't care about how I look or how I see you. I'm just going to do what fits me. It's nice. really lovely. Yeah. And there's the bit when she goes to her friend's house and and Julie is crying. And mm. she goes to him and she's like, what's wrong? It's like, nothing's wrong. Some people just aren't built happy. Which yeah. is absolute gut punch. And it's like kind of what a big part of this movie is, which is the idea that like sort of people contain multitudes. And mm. there's like, it's obviously about this one person and mm. we're, everything we're seeing is filtered through her experience mm. but we get the idea that everyone here is living a vivid life that's mm. just as real as hers yeah because i mean it's because like 
Ladybird's so caught up in her own world. She doesn't mm. even think about like she doesn't think about anything she says. That's why she like is constantly hurting her mum. Mm. But actually, she's also hurting Julie. But you don't see any of the effects of her words until you know afterwards when yeah. yeah. Really well done film. Which is just what it's like to be a teenager. <laughs> yeah, teenagers fucking suck. They yeah. say stuff. They don't even think about anything they're saying. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I was saying to you just before we recorded that like when I first watched this, I was conscious of it being a very good film, but I did not have a good time watching it. Because it was such a hard watch <laughs> mm. for me. Because I was nineteen, and I watched it, and it hit so hard for me. Like, because it was so recent for me, being that like soon to graduate <laughs> teenager, mm. who's just kind of sucks and like <laughs> yeah. says weird yeah. lies for no reason. Yeah, and it's just yeah. like you're just like, why are you doing this it's to so, yourself? Yeah. And then, but yeah, I rewatched it just the other week, and mm. yeah, absolutely beautiful. Mm. Did you find it hard when you watched it the first time? Do you remember your first viewing experience? Yeah, I saw it in the cinema, um, and I liked it a lot. Um, I really enjoyed it at the time, but it definitely didn't have that same kind of... Um, I didn't have enough distance to look back on my, as you were saying, yeah, my mm. teenage years to kind of recognise the um, how nostalgic it made, makes, makes me feel. I think that's why I find comfort in it, because it's quite nostalgic. Um, so I, kind of, I watched it that one time and was like, this is a good film. Really mm. enjoyed that. Didn't really think about it again. Um... Yeah, and then when I came back to it, I was like... Yeah, so this is one of the things I was thinking about, is like, it's really nice and sensitive in the way that it's a film about young people and, like, adolescents that doesn't do what 90% of films about and TV shows about teenagers do, which is either is completely irreverent and makes everything ridiculous (laughs) and you're (laughs) fucking an apple pie because you're so horny, um, not to name any names. (laughs) That was you, you can name yourself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Or it's like... Um, I genuinely am disgusted with myself for making this reference, but like there's a family guy bit where it's like they're talking about Dawson's Creek and it's like, these are the most important times of our lives. Um, Nothing that can't be solved by throwing a few rocks at a lake though, (laughs) which is the thing. So like it's either completely irreverent or it's Mm. just melodrama. Neither one really speaks to what it's actually like. And like, I don't know, the poster is really nice. I was looking at it the other day Mm. and it's, and it's a religious poster like it's coded like a mm. yeah a religious painting and she's in profile and it's got this really nice gothic font to sort of i was trying to think what is it trying to say and i guess like deliver on the idea that for this person this time in her life is actually very profound and meaningful you know and like mm. it's not necessarily a thing that we get a lot with with teen movies um so my thought was like is it really a film for young people or is it for people who are kind of looking back on their youth because yeah you and I said the same thing I definitely think it's about looking back on your youth it's I think it, it gets a lot of stuff that you don't notice you're doing as a teenager mm. really well and you don't notice because it's like when you're so close to something you don't notice something mm. um it's once you've had a bit of distance from it uh yeah I mean I don't know about the religion stuff. I guess that's, I mean, that's a, more of um, Greta Gerwig's personal life, right? Did she go to... Yeah, exactly, because it was a Catholic school that she went to and yeah. it's a Catholic school in the film. Mm. Um, but I do find that, because, yeah, she really kind of rejects the whole religion thing. Mm. Um, religion thing. <laughs> she rejects religion. Um, you know, she's like kind of actually... Is that, that's that funny bit when she's in this classroom and they're talking about, I can't remember her name, Sister something, the, the nice old woman. Yeah, yeah. And um, Saoirse Ronan's like, yeah, she's a cunt. <laughs> and um, 
Bina Feldstein's like, no, we like her. What are you saying? Why are you saying this? Because we like her. Is that her like selling out completely? But then it's nice because at the end she comes back um, as like a grown woman. She's just had her stomach pumped. <laughs> um, but she goes to church and she has this like nice epiphany moment and she's like, oh, okay, no, I'm, I've been a dick. I yeah. kind of like try to sell myself out. Um, and then she goes out and calls her mum. Which is like, I don't know. Yeah, so it's like it's not about necessarily religion, but it's about kind of this big like force in her life mm. that she had spent so long sort of rejecting, and then she kind of engages with it, and it's just profound in that it reminds her of the things that are important to her. Mm. Um, I don't know. It's like yeah, the way that the poses are, she's sort of like a a saint. I don't know, like a sort of mm. icon of like youth, but also that doesn't mean being a hero kind of means being a dick as well <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah she's kind of an anti-hero because like you're rooting for her but you're also like oh, stop doing this stuff you're mm. selling yourself out and it's so annoying yeah i mean i was thinking about this as well it's like the idea of a flawed protagonist obviously it's like mm. it's been a doing big numbers for a while and like film and television and stuff but specifically in comedy i was thinking about how there's now sort of an interest in not just paint, painting yourself as flawed, but kind of like as a garbage fire, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a big trend at the moment. Yeah, exactly, of being like a very, just like your life being a big ball of like mm. whatever chaos, you know? I guess it's quite easy to find comedy in so much chaos. Like, mm. if you've got so much shit going on, it's really easy to find a punchline. And it's a lot more interesting than watching people and being like, yeah, I have a perfect life, okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a joke about something I've just seen on the street, like... It's a lot more, you can do a lot more with it, I reckon. Just a big just ball of dirt, you know? Yeah, just absolute shite. What was that? Um, you wrote a succubus article that was something like affirmations that won't oh, yeah. <laughs> resonate because... I'm a disgusting little worm. Because I'm a disgusting little worm, that was it, yeah. Yeah, that's because, I mean, yeah, I'm, when I'm in my lower points, I genuinely feel like a worm. Yeah, exactly. I, um, yeah, that was a really fun one to write, actually. But it's like, it's nice that, like, that that sort of metaphor is it isn't it it's not just mm. like oh i'm i'm like don draper i'm a piece <laughs> of shit and i drink whiskey and mm. brood it's like it's funny you're like oh i'm a little worm creature yeah. <laughs> i'm a possum who like just rifles through a dumpster I'm and stuff absolutely filthy yeah. rat. but like maybe part of that is the idea of like when it's autobiography mm. there's so much more of an impulse to like paint this person whoever it is if it's like I guess, I don't know, Fleabag, I May Destroy You, Girls, where it's like, or even like Woody Allen stuff where he's like, well, of course I'm a piece of shit, you know? Mm. And there's no sort of attempt to make this person like flawed but likeable or whatever. When it's when you're writing about someone who is in a lot of ways yourself, you're kind of like, yeah, he's a piece of shit. Look at me, I'm a piece of shit. I don't need to mm. prove that or qualify that in any mm. way. Anyone would agree with that. <laughs> It's a lot easier to look inside and find the like bad parts about yourself than it is to like make up this imaginary person and try and envisage them with bad qualities. Because mm. um, I mean, I, I, everyone thinks it's unique to themselves, but they people analyze themselves so much every day. All you're doing is thinking about yourself, and I mean, maybe I'm <laughs> coming across as a massive narcissist, but everyone knows. Well, always... you think about yourself. Yeah, I know. I you am. are a focal point through which your experiences are filtered. It's crazy. Wow, isn't what it? an egomaniac. Yeah. Um, but it's a lot easier to notice every bad thing that you do than yeah. it is to like, you know, because people are so caught up in their own worlds that, <laughs> wow, I'm really saying it like it is. <laughs> um, 
you get so caught up in your own world that you you don't actually notice other people's flaws as much. Yeah. So it's harder to write other people's flaws. Yeah. So and I think the layer of distance that Greta Gerwig had to Lady Bird, where a lot of people like assumed that it was autobiographical. Mm. Um, one in a Vulture article, they said a lot of people assume it's a Roman Clef, which no, I, I had no means. idea. Yeah, I had to <laughs> Google it. Apparently, it's an autobiography or like a true account where just the names are changed mm -hmm. and Greta Kerwig kept saying like she hates it when people call it that because she's like because I worked really hard writing it you know yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. it's all made up it. you know and like and yeah so the person Ladybird is not herself and she was saying I was not as headstrong and like courageous as this person and I very much followed the rules um so that's possibly part of how she's able to like write her with a bit more sensitivity because she's not really writing about herself mm. even though people might think that she is yeah that's true yeah i can imagine how like um kind of frustrating it could be when you spent ages writing on something and someone's like oh it's easy for you because you just wrote your you just wrote basically what happened to you and you're like no mm. <laughs> fuck off leave me alone well, <laughs> I mean, hard. what's your stand-up like is there a lot of personal experience in there yeah i'm I've, i'm very personal i think mm. i because i have no sense of boundaries sure, <laughs> sure. anything that happens to me is basically um up for content but i've had to i've really had to like consider recently what what kind of stuff is okay for me to say on stage because mm. a lot of stuff i talk about like family i hadn't really considered that um anything i say also relates to my siblings and my yeah my parents i was like oh this is this is something that has only happened to me i'm the only person affected by any of this so i've had recently just like what what is fair for me to say on stage yeah. to like not protect people's identities but for them to not feel like their person personal yeah. life is being invaded that you're kind of exploiting the pain of like not just yourself but other mm. people as well yeah exactly so i'm trying to consider it a lot more carefully whereas before mm. i would just go up and say whatever i wanted which i think is quite selfish of me yeah um is it is it cathartic oh yeah big time big time um so I remember the first set I did about my dad who has dementia. I came off stage. I'd never really spoken about it to most of my mates. Mm. I came off stage being like, oh, that feels great. Yeah. <laughs> it was like free therapy and I'd forced everyone else to go through it with me. Um, yeah, yeah, I really liked, I love being personal on stage. Exactly. But like, I don't know, is there a risk of like when you do something that's so like emotionally raw and like cathartic and talking about your own pain and whatever in such a naked way that like, how much of that is the comedy and how much of that is kind of getting a reaction out of people by just saying something really dramatic, you know? <laughs> um, that's a good point. Do I, am I just doing it for a reaction? Yeah. Um, no, I, I, my coping mechanism has mm. always been to um, comedy. Um, anything that's happened to me, I've always tried to... I've actually struggled with sincerity, so um, mm. it's a lot easier to make a joke out of something. Uh and actually, I think the first few times I was doing it, it was a lot more for me. It was more of like the audience were a sounding board for me to um, kind of process it. And I felt, because the, the first set I did about it, I didn't write a lot of it. Um, mm. It was largely improvised. And it was the first time I'd ever spoken about it. Um, and I just told a few stories. So it, it kind of felt like I was just, um, it was like I was processing it on stage, just saying anything that, through my mind and not really filtering it um which can be a downfall sometimes because i've I, I think some absolute shite <laughs> sure exactly and then yeah and there's a question of like how much of this was actually like for the form of stand-up to like make mm. people laugh and how much of it was just mm. you know 
Did I make people uncomfortable? And like, <laughs> yeah, I, I often was that all make right, people, you know? I often make people uncomfortable and I have to really, I find myself recently, now that I'm actually trying to put some work into doing stand-up instead of just showing up and doing fucking whatever I wanted. Sure. Um, I'm finding myself putting a lot more work into making people feel comfortable when I'm talking about stuff like that. Um, I feel like, I mean, it's really hard with stuff like that because I feel so comfortable with it. And I wouldn't be talking about it on stage if I didn't. Yeah. But it's people feeling uncomfortable on your behalf. And you're like, why? Because I'm, I'm fine. Look yeah. at me, I'm fine. Don't feel bad. Um, but, I mean, everything... I always go in with the mindset that, like, now, recently, I'm going with the mindset that I, I, I'm doing it for the audience. If they're not finding it funny, I'll just stop. I'll just pivot and do some other thing. Because the audience is the most important thing when you're doing comedy. Like... If they're not laughing, you're not having a good time. So what's the point? Is your stuff like fairly improvisational or is it all like heavily written or what? So I want to move more into um, more improvised stuff. My The most fun I have is when I'm, I've not written something because mm. I really like playing around in the room and I like playing with the audience. Yeah. I'm trying to do some writing because I like writing. Yeah. Um, but I find that harder to like write a set and I often find I'll go start doing my set and then get kind of like back out of it and get a bit scared and just start just doing random shit in the mm. room. Um, Which I guess, yeah, gives you a lot more flexibility to mm. test the water, see what's working with the audience mm-hmm. and what's not. Yeah. And like it's often days when I'm not feeling as confident. And yeah. I'll do a bit. It doesn't really, the joke doesn't really land and I'll <clears throat> immediately start doing something else. Um, so I'm trying to get better at just like sticking to my guns. Mm. But I guess it's also like antithetical to like building a tight five or a tight ten, mm. isn't it? If you keep changing what you're doing every time. Yeah, that's what I find quite hard because obviously a lot of um, a good way to pro- progress in the comedy world is through competitions. Yeah. But those are so catered to a really well written, or at least the things I've seen, a really yeah. well written set and a really tight five. Um, which I don't think will really ever be my style. Um, like I don't think I'm ever going to be joke, 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 joke. Yeah. Like everyone laughing constantly. <laughs> like, and actively, people I'm not, not going to be one of those stand-ups where it just makes everyone laugh. Yeah. Like a, it's a crutch is what it is. Yeah, exactly. They don't need to do that. That's cheap. They're selling out. Um, <laughs> no, I just, I think I'm more about getting a vibe in the room rather than people being like, that was a really good joke that you said. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I guess like that's more of the performer side of you than the writer side which like, yeah i remember because i did a little bit of stand-up um when we were at university and mm-hmm. i like just came at it from a writing thing it's mm-hmm. like i only want to do this writing exercise to like read out my own jokes and stuff mm-hmm. everything i did was so like just completely written it was blocks of text and mm-hmm. like i worked hard to make it feel authentic and like natural and to have a mm-hmm. flow to it but it was always like i would say it over and over again like memorize mm. it and stuff and have it perfectly committed which terrible if anyone ever decided <laughs> to heckle me or something mm. because then i would just be completely sunk yeah i suppose that's like when you when you start out i mean i'm still really new so it's mm. not like i'm <laughs> super super experienced but when you start out it's like easier and you feel safer once you've got like a whole set and you don't need to like worry about deviating away from it and it goes how it goes but it's the feeling once you've got a bit more like confidence on stage, you feel a lot more relaxed. Um, so you don't need to worry so much about the writing, I guess. I mean, yeah. when you when you book other people, because mm. you handle the bookings for the Ninety Nine Club, which is a comedy club in London. Um, what do you do? You look for people who you see them and they have like a really immaculate set, or do you think 
this person has a great vibe or um so yeah i do some of the bookings i don't do all of the bookings sure. but um yeah usually it's, it's i like i like their vibe i'm definitely a more of a vibe feeler outer <laughs> um i think i always have been like i always prefer comedians who um have more of like a presence to them um on stage and they're like playing around rather than being like they're a really good joke writer they've written a good setup and a good punchline i don't find that as interesting i think because there are more of those kind of comedians um I feel like I've seen like a reasonable amount of comedy now that mm. I find personality so much more interesting. So if I see someone on stage and they've got a really unique persona, mm. I'll be like, okay, yeah, well, we definitely need to get them. And I, I guess in the broader sort of comedy world, especially in the UK, it's kind of moving towards like personalities and stuff mm. as comedians. Like it's all panel shows, isn't it? And it's all mm. these people who have like, just a brilliant comic persona who can like sort of just like riff a joke on anything rather than someone sometimes they have people on who have like just come out with like Jeremy what do you think of this new story and they then they look down at like the bit under their mm. their panel and they go like well you know the government is a lot like a bag of cabbages <laughs> you're gonna have some moldy ones and Matt Hancock's in there somewhere <laughs> that was verbatim from Mock the Week <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah, it is, I guess, more of a shift to that sort of style of comedy. Mm. Yeah, and I guess, like, I guess with TV, it's a lot, um, there's a lot more shows and, like, people are trying to get, a, lot, a good way that people write TV or get into writing TV is that they'll become a stand-up first and they'll become, like, known mm. as, like, a, a name or a presence or whatever and then they'll get their own TV show off that, um, which is, like, I think, a good example of it's all about the person mm. rather than, like, actually talent you know but again all those people like when they get their own bbc show or whatever especially mm. if it's fiction mm. it's autobiographical they're always like look at this piece of shit <laughs> yeah. look at this awkward human being look at this That's idiot true, yeah. floundering around in their life mm. and i don't know a lot of that like isn't great because of that mm. because i think like they're so ready to jump on the bandwagon of everyone laugh at me what an idiot i am <laughs> and mm. stuff and it kind of sounds like i'm like no you're not an idiot yeah, I think I, I do worry sometimes with the, the big... Obviously, it's great, a big shift around the more we talk about mental health and stuff. Yeah. But there's a big trend on social media to be to really um, put yourself down, like, a lot. To be like, right. to be like oh, yeah, this is, this, I do this because I'm shit. I'm a piece of shit. And it's like, no, just don't say that. Because then the more you say it, the more it... Um, and I've been guilty of this. Like, it's really easy to make jokes when you feel bad about yourself. But it really... Um, the more you say it, the more it becomes true and the more you actually believe it. Is it possible to like kind of draw a line between the version of yourself that you paint in your stand-up acts and like the way that you see yourself? Yeah, and like I felt I felt a bit of a shift after lockdown in the way that I perform. Um, because I felt like I really grew up a lot over the year and a half that we were stuck inside because I was unemployed for a lot of it right. and had only time with myself they were just sending you eggs to peel yeah like exactly yeah, i know <laughs> got furloughed from the eggs um, <laughs> um yeah i spent a lot of my time just like sitting with myself and just having to by force become more confident and comfortable in my skin um so now i go on stage and i talk about this stuff i feel like a lot more distant from it because that's not actually how i feel about myself mm. um 
which I think is interesting. And like, I think I used to feel quite um, restless and like anxious within myself. So a lot of my performing, I would it would be quite chaotic and none of it made sense. Right. <laughs> and I would just like, I think sometimes you could see me panic on stage. Right. Um, which, like, I don't do so much anymore. I mean, I've not had as much opportunities to. So you have like maybe a more robust sense of self. It's yeah a lot easier to like create a personality or something or like draw out an exaggerated version of your character if you know what your character is yeah exactly i think that's exactly it like i know who i am now and i feel comfortable with myself so now i can make those jokes about mental health or whatever and mm. it not reflect so much on my actual sense of being um is it also kind of numbing to do like some very like emotionally raw material over and over again like you talk about something that is actually like very significant to you and stuff and then but you go to clubs all over London and you say mm. the same joke over and over again. It sort of, does that feel weird to you? Sometimes, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I, I cause obviously I talk a lot about my dad. Mm. Um, he's in a care home. He's, yeah, like I said, got dementia. Um, but I already, it's like, it's been two or three years since he went, since he first showed signs of it. So already in that time, I'd kind of numbed to it. Like it's just become a part of um, my life. Mm. So the first few times I was saying it, I would feel like, oh, okay, this I can actually feel the emotional effect of um, talking about it on stage. But after a while, yeah, I just I can get numb to it anymore. That's why that's what I was saying earlier. Like when I talk about it on stage, I don't even consider that it's kind of like a, a painful topic. Yeah. Um. Or like there's potential raw emotion there because it's it's not present for me. Um. It's just a set. It's just a set that I've written that I think is funny. Um. So I don't. Yeah. And I, I, I do I guess I do feel numb to it, but that's not because I've done it so much. That's just because I've done a lot of work to process it. And yeah. I'm not feel upset about it anymore. And is it also is it nice or like not nice to have that feeling of like, oh, I feel comfortable joking about this, you know? Or at least it shows people that you're comfortable. Yeah, I I mean I really like it. I always prefer people that are joking about stuff that's actually real to them. Mm. Um and I, yeah, I love talking about it. I would talk about it for ages, but people are like, shut up. Stop talking about your dementia, dad, again. <laughs> well, I mean, people, I guess in stand-up, people really respond to when you like take something very heavy that's happened to you and then you make a joke about it and it's like a tension release valve and they're like, oh, thank God. Oh, it's okay to laugh at this, you know? Yeah, I always really prefer those kind of situations because like, oh, thank God you're letting me laugh about this because yeah. <laughs> I feel so stressed that you've mentioned it. So I do get it from their perspective, but yeah. There's a lot of like sensitivity to that. And I suppose, I don't know if it's a new thing, like stand up leaning much, much more to the autobiographical, um, mm. which I guess I feel like I don't know enough about this to really have much confidence <laughs> in it. But I feel like in earlier decades and stuff, a lot more of it was about like, was Rodney Dangerfield or <laughs> like <laughs> or, or Mitch Hedberg or yeah even like yeah Sasha Baron Cohen doing like mm. characters or whatever mm. and it's completely it's just jokes you know it's not mm. there's very little that's personal about it um and then like say like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel um she's <laughs> great and we feel such a connection to that character because like everyone else in that circuit is joking about how much they hate their wives or something mm. or like making jokes about being fat and she just comes on and like talks about her life yeah which is it feels very immediate for sure but sometimes it does feel like um stand-up asks so much for you a lot yeah. of these days like you have to really give part of yourself to get actually that's not true not everyone has to do that but a lot of the comedians who go far is because they've given a part of themselves to the audience which feels like 
quite a big ask. I mean, it's fine for me because I've got no sense of boundaries. <laughs> but um, for most people... How do you mean by giving a part of yourself to the audience? Well, it's like you have to um, show the audience who you are as a person. Um, and you have to, like, yeah, be, be more personal or, like... Um, or create a person and then yeah, show that to them. That's true. That's also true. Um, I guess, yeah, I don't really know how people do that. <laughs> like, yeah. create a whole new persona. I'm always really impressed with people who can do that. It's quite, um, quite you, a skill. Yeah, when you talk to them in, like, after a show, and you're like, oh, you're nothing like that person <laughs> yeah. who you were on stage. Yeah, people who are, like, dickheads on stage, and like, I hate you, and they're, like, the loveliest person off stage. You're like, how have you done this? <laughs> there must be a part of you that sucks, but... No. All the people who are really nice on stage, and it turns out they're absolute dickheads. Yeah, that one's more common. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot easier because they're practicing not being a dickhead in real life as mm, well, I guess. Yeah, that's true, that's true. But is it like, is it kind of lonely to stand up as an art form? Because every other sort of major art form is so much more, in some way, collaborative. I don't know, like, obviously film, um, no matter what, like, auteur theory would have you believe, you know, there is always... A collaborative nature to it mm. um yeah Greta Gerwig said that she said in an interview she said something like she doesn't want to like clone herself and have someone um she wants it to be call and response um what did she say she said something really good did I have it written down here she said I don't um I don't want an echo I want an answer which I think is really nice mm. and then yeah whatever else it is you have like editors or like people who give their thoughts but the stand-up is just you isn't it yeah, what a question. Is stand-up lonely? I, uh, I've never I've never found it lonely. Yeah. I find it very sociable. Because you forget, you're on stage for, I mean, however long you're doing. Um, five, ten, half an hour, an hour, whatever. You're on stage on your own for that much. But then you get off stage and there are so many other comedians around that, like, you hang out with. Like, if you're doing, if you're doing your own hour show, but I can see I've not done that yet. I've only mm. done half hour. No, 20 minutes? Anyway, not important. Um... I can see how that's quite lonely, but most nights comedians will be performing on a bill with other comics and yeah. they'll be backstage in the green room with other comics just chatting before they're set. Um, I find it very sociable, actually, the scene, as wanky as that is to say. But there's something, I don't know, when you make something that's like completely out on its own and you're not mm. working with anyone else on it, so if it's good, you're celebrating that alone, and if mm. it's bad, you're commiserating that alone. <laughs> Yeah, I see. I, I see your point, but I think, I mean, it's different for different comedians. I think, but yeah. a a lot of comedians, I think, would want it to be to involve the audience. Mm. So actually, it's you're with a lot of people. I mean, unless yeah. you're with like three people in the audience, <laughs> but you're there with the audience. If you've done it well, I think yeah. you are. You're not on your own on stage. You're like that's fair. Yeah, it's not necessarily collaborate it is kind of collaborative in that way yeah because you've got to like you've got to work with the audience to to like help them laugh and then they can sometimes give you stuff that gets i don't know a good response um yeah i, I mean the audience is the collaborator as wanky as that is to say um and is that is that all right does that suck or is that like good <laughs> depends on the audience <laughs> yeah exactly like obviously you have comedians like some of them when their jokes don't land, they mm. get, like, really hostile and they go, mm. like, fuck you, that's a good joke. It's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> sorry, sorry I didn't laugh. But, um, yeah, I mean, it can be a good thing, can be a bad thing. Mm. Um, I've definitely been, like, annoyed that a joke didn't land mm. <laughs> when you really believe in it. Um, but it doesn't land. That's Because it's, like, it's not necessarily people you trust, you know? It's not, like... Like, when I, I do, like, like, I write, like, plays and stuff and, like, mm. if I send them to someone... I always, like, curate a list of, like, who do I trust, whose opinion do I 
really value and stuff so then if i send it to them and they're like this is not good or this needs work i can't just brush it off because mm. i really trust their opinion but the audience is just some guy <laughs> yeah just some guy called pete in the audience yeah he this doesn't know what he's talking about fucking chucklehead didn't yeah. think my joke was funny he didn't earn he just paid mm. seven pounds entry that's his 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 <laughs> qualification and sometimes that's quite nice because um, it's, it's sometimes comforting to be like, oh, the audience just didn't know what they were talking mm. about. It's not, not the audience for me. But I think there's a danger in that where you like can completely disconnect yourself from the audience and um, think that they don't know anything and you know everything. And that's yeah. kind of can be quite arrogant to believe that like you are perfect. Every joke you write is great. Yeah. Um, is it is that a matter of like doing as many shows as you can, you know, like? Yeah, I'm. I mean, not so much that you burn out. I think a lot of comedians are like you have to be gigging every single night, um, which I think is a lot and tiring and not good for anyone's mental health or state of being. Mm. Um, but the, I think the more you do it, I guess. I mean, I've not done hundreds, um, but like I think I feel like I've done enough to get an idea of who might like my stuff and yeah. who might not, and when to know whether it's me being shit or the audience just not getting my vibe. Yeah, right, because, you know, you write a joke and it doesn't get a laugh once, then you can put that down to the audience not getting it. If it doesn't get a laugh every time, you're mm. like, okay, yeah. maybe I actually do have some, some yeah, reconsidering I to do. probably should cut that bit about the eggs, it's not really landing. <laughs> um, no, the egg bit will always be great. Yeah, that's true, that's true. Do you, like, work with other comics? Do you get um, sort of advice from them? Do you give advice in that sort of way? Yeah, all the time. That's why I think it's not a very lonely thing because mm. you're constantly asking other comedians for advice like me and ted milligan mm. with as most of the stuff we talk about is each other's sets and how we can work on our stuff and how we can improve as comedians um which can be boring like obviously we talk about other stuff sometimes um <laughs> but yeah it's nice to like work with other people on your set and you help their set and it's just yeah it's quite nice you think is there an all right community in london or have you not really been long enough to get an idea well what it. was frustrating is i was just about to get into it and then lockdown happened mm. um so i've started doing a few in london i'm meeting more people which is yeah. nice and there's a really nice um it's a really nice community but there's also a load of people who um can be quite cliquey i think right um but yeah i guess i've not done enough to know enough about who's who's good who's bad <laughs> who's the cool kids who are the lame kids who's in the band you know you can start your own your own cool kid group you well know? i'm planning to i'm yeah. gonna try and set up a night uh, me and ted milligan and my friend lucila oh lovely and um, we're gonna hopefully set up a night in the next couple of months um which would be like a big community thing and you run a night in bristol at the moment don't you yes oh i love it it's so fun it's called party and it's at the cube cinema in bristol i run it with Pavani Pillay. um it's for trans, non-binary, and female performers, um, and it's just it's just fun. Like we called it party because we wanted it to be like a good fun party time. Mm. Um, and afterwards we DJ, <laughs> so people stick around, have a drink, um, and yeah, we just play around and mess around on stage. And there's not really any pressure for it to be like I love it. good. It's just people want to have fun. That's what we want to do. Is that somewhere where you like test new material or do you? So, um, yeah, I mean, me and Pravanya, we try and have like a different party theme each each month. Um, so we write a different like narrative, I guess, for that. Mm. And for, we always try and make sure we have one person who's never done it before um, doing a, a spot. And then Pravanya will go through their set with them to help them like feel confident before they go on stage, which is, yeah, a really nice That thing. is really lovely. Yeah. And that's a 
I think really countering the idea that stand up is lonely. If you've got like mm-hmm. a really lovely community of people, then it absolutely doesn't have to be. Yeah, and I think that's what I always like so much about stand up. It's just like it can. It doesn't have to be this big competitive, scary thing. It's people just trying to get up on stage and make other people laugh and you can help each other with that and that doesn't have to be like a competition and it's just nice to have the community isn't it mm. i guess it yeah it depends where you are you know you can mm. either have places that are kind of cliquey and then mm. places where you can actually get some like whatever sort of tenderness and like mm. actual in- inviting mm. sort of understanding mm. i was i was thinking about this a little bit um with Ladybird, when I was watching it, um, to steer steer this shit back yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about how it it's a comedy, which mm. I mean, it's almost like it's a very sad comedy, and then mm. what like one that could very easily make you cry, but a comedy nonetheless. And I was thinking that we have a lot of films in recent memory have been like this, and it it almost seems like there's a shift in like there's been a bit of a shift in like comedy movies and like. To something a little bit more understanding and a little bit more um, tender with it, like mm. I was, I, I was seeing Booksmart, Eighth Grade, Into the Spider Verse, The Big Sick, um, Hunt for the Wilder People. Basically, if you, I just before I saw you, I, I looked up like what are people saying on like listicles of like top ten comedy movies of the last few years, mm. and all of those ones were on there, and like there are very, very few like out and out like laugh a minute comedies like we had Mm. before like i think game night showed up once or twice and that was Mm. literally it you know that was a good film yeah it's like a naked gun is all slapstick which i think is perfect (laughs) i think slapstick is the highest form of comedy oh sure um but it's like you 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 well it's like why your friends are the funniest people someone said this recently your friends are the funniest people in the world to you because you have that shared sense of you have shared um what's it called Things that you know, shared... What is that word? I wish you guys could see the hand movements that Imogen is doing right now to try and coax her brain. You have shared points of reference. Nice. You have shared points of reference. So it's easier to get a laugh out of that because once you know someone, you know what makes them laugh. Um, And that's why I think these tender films are funny because you are more invested in the characters so Mm. you, you can relate to them more. And it's, yeah, and that's... And that's comedy. <laughs> Is that, yeah, for sure. Like, I mean, um, and they're just kind of lovely and beautiful and like mm. moving and stuff. So like, they are they're funny, but they kind of there's something more there which actually feels quite nice mm-hmm. to like not just be watching. I don't know. The Hangover is. I like it fine. I haven't seen it in many years and stuff, but I think (laughs) the only thing you get out of it was like, that was funny. I liked it when the Chinese man got out of the car and he was naked or something, but it doesn't really leave you with all that much. Um, Whereas like, yeah, I think Olivia Wilde, when she was talking about um, book smart, she, people were saying like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do it like this. You can't make a comedy movie like beautiful and stuff because it detracts from the laughs when, yeah, like you say, it really, I don't think it does because mm. if anything, yeah, you have so much more of a love for these characters and you're so much more invested in them that mm. like you find them funny. It's like they're your friends. Yeah, for sure. I, I love Booksmart. It's like one of my favourite films. I loved it so much. It's so good. Um, Beanie Felstein, I think, is a real, real talent. Um, yeah, she's fantastic. Can we talk about the cast of Ladybird, by oh the way? Oh my like, gosh, it's such a wicked That's like cast. every good young actor yeah. they've got in that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What's his name? Timothy Chalamet. And then... Um, Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges, who I love. He's yeah. so good. 
Um, yeah, phenomenal. And what's his name? Um, the dad. Oh, Tracy something. Tracy Lett. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 um, Laurie Metcalf yeah. who's the mum. Oh, I think she's she played that perfectly. Yeah, it was really fantastic. Again, yeah. you know, like she's flawed in a mm. way that like it's it would be so easy for her to be like sort of the put upon mother or mm. something in that relationship. And she is that, but she also she kind of sucks, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they have a difficult relationship and mm. she can be very mean and critical. Yeah, she's quite, she's quite sharp with Ladybird. Yeah. I always, um, the thing that runs through my head the most from this film mm. is the bit towards the end, they're trying to get Ladybird's dress for prom and Laurie Metcalf is just like, oh, I want you to be the very best version of yourself that you can be. And Ladybird's like, what if this is the best version? And the mum's just Ooh. like, come on it's not you know that yeah oh god such like a gut punch and i always think about i just want to be the best version of myself and i'm going to get there one day it's yeah. not there yet but one day i will get there um that's yeah like my mantra each day i love a comedy film that just gut punches yeah you. <laughs> and not in that. a slapstick way in yeah punch way. <laughs> not in the way that it's funny because they double over and they're like oh my god yeah my tummy hurts <laughs> <laughs> it's really nice um yeah I, it was such a beautiful film and she talks about how the sort of the aesthetic of the film she wanted to make it a xerox of like mm -hmm. the way it was meant to be um colored was to look like a xerox of a photo to have this sort of like tinge of like sort of bright coloring to mm -hmm. it um i was thinking about this just because she was talking with um barry jenkins who did moonlight um mm. Which, yeah, was a good year for film, wasn't it? Yeah, it really was. They had La La Land that year. Oh, yeah, which delightful film. I will defend because I love that movie mm. and so many other people didn't like it and it really upset me. <laughs> I just think it's a lovely film. It's not like saying loads and loads, yeah. but I enjoyed watching it. I get really upset whenever like I watch a movie, like especially in the cinema or like with people, mm. and it like hits me really hard and i'm just like completely like enthralled by it and i love it so much and then we turn off the movie and i go like oh i love that and then the next person goes like that was crap i hate that everyone yeah. should have the same experience as me for everything yes exactly i like it's just you feel really naked when you like mm. you've let yourself enjoy something yeah. in a like, completely like uncritical mm. way like you've turned off that part of your brain you're just like that just gave me a really nice experience Mm. and like for someone when someone says something like oh that was like yeah i didn't like that or like this was bad with the acting or whatever mm. it's like you're a little peach and someone's just poking you and like <laughs> yeah. bruising you you know yeah, shut the fuck up you don't know what you're talking about yeah. it was perfect yeah, yeah. i I, <laughs> I remember i saw contact um which is this uh robert zemeckis film about like space travel and like making contact with aliens which is actually about um faith and mm. I remember loving it so much and I watched it with my family and then like when we turned it off I was like oh that was amazing and then my family hated it and they were like that was so stupid and I remember I yelled I said something really stupid like you ain't never seen a film before <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's such like a how old were you? oh this was like last year <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say that's such like a teenage you don't understand me yeah exactly I, saw, I definitely regressed this teenage state yeah. of like you, you, you're all philistine. You don't understand anything about films or my experience. Um, I got sidetracked. My point was, um, yeah, like, so Moonlight as well, like, because they actually have the same colorist on their film um, doing the grading. And the way that you can, like, add a veneer of, like, distance to something um, to make it, like, 
to make people understand that it is a film. Um, mm. Because she was talking, Greta Gerwig was talking about this with Frances Ha, and she was saying that the black and white in that sort of works because it reminds someone that they're mm. watching a film, you know? Mm. Um, also cheaper, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm, yeah, definitely. Um, you can just pour that chocolate sauce down the drain and yeah. tell people it was blood. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess that's like... I don't know, it's cool that, like, she wasn't going for, like, a grainy sort of realism. There was definitely, like, an idea of, like, you're watching this film, it's overtly written, you know? It's got, like, mm. very, very quick dialogue, all the characters are witty, and, like, mm. it has a lot of, like, it has a clear sort sort of, like, it's structured. And I'm not gonna, like, try and pretend to you that this is real life, mm. so I'm adding this, like, a extra layer to it to sort of distance you from it, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's done beautifully. It's like a beautiful um, film in its own right. Aside from like anything it says, it's shot beautifully. It yeah, it looks like um, someone's taken photos of um, like Sacramento in two thousands, and then she's just put that on screen. Mm. Um, yeah, and I don't think it like I don't know. You were saying it would like distance it to you a bit. Did you say that? Well, just yeah, remind you that you're watching a film. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I actually kind of think the opposite because I every time I watch it I get so invested in it that I forget that I'm watching a film because I'm so invested in the characters and I think it's so I'm so emotionally invested that like it, I just get really yeah definitely no yeah you definitely get drawn into it yeah. absolutely mm. in a very sort of filmy way it's like it's nice that you can you can overcome that mm. that barrier and be like no like even if this is like very overtly constructed it's so emotionally powerful that it draws me into like it really speaks to that experience you know mm. it's like a lot of films try to like if someone thing is trying to be like real life you know whatever they have you know very um improvised dialogue and shaky cam and like very muted colors or whatever it's mm. like yeah it's real it's like yeah but like it doesn't really real is just an experience mm. isn't it it's like I guess it's kind of like because it's a snapshot of her time, yeah, like a memory. Um, yes, it's yeah, very much like cause you you always remember things more perfectly than they were. Um, that's probably yeah, some, yeah, something in that. No, she definitely <laughs> she she said like literally that in the interview. Like, oh, nice. That's you hit the nail on the head. You you and Greta on the same <laughs> mind. The one on one. She was saying how like yeah, you remember things as like more beautiful mm. than they were, and that's like how she like decided to give it this mm. sort of tinge to it which you know like it's it's amazing how she's able to convey that experience mm. so you know effectively and like it's not oh this is a slice of life this is exactly what it's like to live through this moment it's more like no this is the exact feeling of mm. living this time yeah, I guess also like when um, Ladybird first drives through Sacramento and it's like those lovely, lovely shots mm. of it. It's just, and she's finally seeing it. Um, and she, it's the way it's shot makes it look so beautiful. And actually, I'm not sure Sacramento is <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is the most beautiful place. Um, which I guess, yeah, feeds more into what she was saying in the interview. You'll, you'll understand that more when you get older. And yeah. You move to New York and you're like, no, no, Sacramento was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, gone for an ending. I know, um, it's beautiful, yeah. So well done, yeah. And speaking of endings, um, perfectly segueing, I think that's a great place to, mm. to end this uh, discussion. Mm. Imogen, thank you so much for coming in no, and chatting about Lady Bird. Um, 
Where can we see you doing stuff? So you can see me at Party at the Cube Cinema in Bristol every month. Um, yeah, just check the website and I'll see you there. Follow me on social media, um, at Imogen T on Twitter, at Imogen TR on Instagram. I'll be posting about any gigs I'm doing um, and anything I write, basically, or produce or anything I do ever. Brilliant, we'll be dropping some links in the description so you can get on that. Um, until next time, guys, um, thank you very much for listening and um, see you soon.